We've got these guys here. Do you mind if I ask you guys a quick question? Just about like politics and stuff. Quick question for you. I'm Nick, by the way. How are you doing, Nick? You guys from America? No, we're from Germany. Ah, buenos dios. I know a little German. I don't like to brag, but hello. Are you voting this November? Yeah, I am. Voting this November? Uh, yes. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 I'm just wondering if you're planning to vote this November. I'm 12 years old. No. 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 Well, I'm Australian, so... Oh, you can't vote. I can't vote, no. Bummer. I love your shirt. Thank you. Red, white, and blue. These colors don't run. I heard sometimes Obama comes and looks out the window and we can wave at him. But you know who is here, though? The Bushes are here. All along the front, you can see him right there. <laughs> Not bad, huh? I'm Nick. And who are you representing? I represent the people. Are you excited to vote? I am. What makes you most excited to vote this November? I want to see the first woman get in the White House. Let's make America great again, am I right? Yeah, yeah. That's what she says. Are you getting cupcakes today? Yes. And how easy is it to choose a cupcake? Not easy at all. What is more difficult, choosing a cupcake or choosing a candidate this November? Cupcake. Oh, the cupcake, right. <laughs> Who are you voting for this election? I don't know yet. Who are you planning to vote for? Oh, I don't want to discuss that right now. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. I'm still undecided. I'm not sure. Come on, just tell us. None of you above. <laughs> the lesser of two evils. I'm waiting for a good one. I'm not too happy with either of them. So. Oh, we got an airplane. I suppose while we wait for it to pass, let's just do like a side hug. Are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? I'm a Democrat. I keep my opinions to myself. Typically aligned in the middle. Fiscally conservative. I would say, yeah, physically you look super conservative. Like, do you have a favorite party generally? Generally uh, Republican. My favorite party, like a taco party. <laughs> <laughs> Birthdays are good. good. Are you uh, running for president? <laughs> I could be. Yeah, I mean, you almost wish there was a few more options, right? You certainly do. All right. Uh, we will use humor for this very sad situation we have in our country. Over the next couple of weeks, you'll see Nick in uh, D.C. And uh, I do want to say this. Uh, I want to explain a couple things about this series, NADA. Um, I'm wondering who's more nervous, me, uh, you, our elders, my family. <laughs> On the way to church today, our youngest son, Logan, said, Dad. Be careful, they're listening. I was like, don't they listen every week? He's like, no, they're listening. Like, it's almost like anything you say can be used against you in the court of law, that type of thing. And I get it, I get it, I get it. Uh, I want to say this, I'm not afraid, I'm ready. I feel like this is something we're supposed to do. Uh, I'm not saying this will be perfect, but I really feel ready for this. Um, I will tell you this, I've had all sorts of warnings. People have said, you can't preach on politics. You can't do that. You know, don't you know, like, don't talk about religion and politics. And uh, I, I said, it's not in the Bible. You know, it's not there. Um, and I got to say this, every week that we preach, essentially, it's a political sermon. Okay? When we say Jesus is Lord and that we are part of the kingdom of God, and that we are not part of this kingdom, but we're really part of the kingdom of God, we're declaring our allegiance somewhere outside of here. 
Okay, so in a way, now you're like, well, that's kind of a, a stretch, but I really, I really believe that. I believe that Philippians, uh, it says 127, uh, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. I think we need to realize that, that we're, we're conducting ourselves as citizens of heaven, and we really don't belong here. I realize that there are warnings. I really believe that, you know, there are true warnings that um, in our country, the Johnson Amendment, we'll talk about that in this series uh, it has limited some forms of, of free speech with the church and all nonprofits. Uh, prior to that, years ago, churches used to do uh, the election Sunday. They would do actually an election Sunday. For hundreds of years, they would actually do this sermon and they would talk about it and talk about the leader. So it was part of our country. But I understand the Johnson Amendment came in. Um, I also realized this I realized that preaching on this. I realize that preaching in general can cause politicians to uh, grow uncomfortable. I understand that preaching can cause politicians to abuse their power. Think about it. When the wise men came and said, hey, we saw in the scriptures, we've understood the stars. There's a, a, a king of kings has been born. How many know that Herod all of a sudden abuses his power and has children murdered? It came from really a sermon, really from uh, wise men that said, hey, this is what is going on. God's doing something. And they unknowingly preached a sermon that brought abuse. If you think about it, John the Baptist, he was put into jail, into prison, not because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist goes and preaches against the sin of the rulers. He says, Herod, you cannot commit adultery like that. You can't marry your brother's wife and have this sin that you're going. And so they throw him in prison. And then his wife has him beheaded. So you think about it. It wasn't again for preaching the, the good news of Jesus Christ. It was for calling out a political leader. So it's in there. I understand that there's these things that go on and it, it, it causes agitation. Again, leaders get upset and I have this thought, I wonder what John the Baptist would say right now at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, showing up in camel hair and locusts. I was trying to think of an equivalent of that, hoodie and, you know, tofu. That's about as bad as locusts, I'm just saying, you know. But I recognize the signs of the times. And I'm going to say this. We're going to move from very intense to humor. And we use humor as a way to connect. And maybe it's just to help alleviate the stress or the tension that builds. But I will tell you this. I understand the signs of the times. I really do. I really feel like, honestly, as a country, as people of faith where we live, we are moving from a Daniel 1 era to a Daniel 3 through 6 era. This is what I believe. Now, if you don't know your Bible, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and a bunch of uh, Jewish people have been brought into uh, captivity in Babylon, and they're asked to eat the wrong food. They're asked to violate their conscience. And Daniel goes to his leader and says, hey, I think that we would be better off if we ate the food that God wanted us to eat. We'll perform better. Would it be reasonable to test us for a few days and see if God's ways are better? And in that Daniel chapter 1, the leader's like, well, I'll give you a few days, but I don't want to lose my life. And so I'll, I'll, I'll see if God's, let's, let's reason together. Let's dialogue about this. And so you see in Daniel chapter 1, they do it. And all of a sudden, they're like, wow, you're better. You're like 10 times better. We're going to make everybody eat what God says they should eat. Okay, that's Daniel chapter 1. And I believe we've been living in that type of world. If you fast forward to Daniel chapter 3 through 6, all of a sudden you see it's changed now. 
It's against the law to stand up for what they want to stand up in. It's against the law for them to do what they've always done and to hold on to the matters of conscience and of their faith. And there's decrees that are issued. And, and you see with the uh, fiery furnace and you see with Daniel in the lion's den, you see in those two accounts in Daniel 3 through 6, you see the kings almost like, is it true? Is it true that you actually believe this? Is it true that you defy what we say? Is it true? You will pay for this. And it's an amazing thing that you see that, you know, they have to face the furnace. They have to face the lions. And it, it's no longer let's negotiate. It's you must assimilate and you must say that everything we say is right or else. And I think we're on the verge of that. I think we're right there, we're on the cusp of that, where it's coming into a Daniel chapter 3 through 6, and we better be ready to stand up for what we believe. I love God's principles. I love that we can say, hey, God's ways are better. God's ways are better, and your marriage will be better if you use God's ways, and God's ways are better. But I also love the miracles that I see in Daniel 3 through Daniel 6. I love the supernatural power of God, and if that's what's coming to our church, coming to a church near you, then I say bring it on. I say I welcome that. I want to see the power of God. I want to see this happening. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he's the, the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I believe heaven is real. I believe Jesus wants his church on this earth to go into all the world and preach the good news. I believe that. I believe that we're supposed to do this and shine like lights. I believe it, and I'm saying we're going to stand up. Now, I got to admit that I didn't fully sense all that we were doing with the NADA series. I just, uh, again, when, when we did this, it was a few months ago. If you don't know, we're planning sermons months in advance. And um, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going and ask the Lord to keep me a few months ahead. When I came upon the NADA series, and I thought it was a catchy title, you know, none of the above. And I just thought it was a purple cow type thing that it would catch everyone's attention. And, and, you know, in past elections, there's been signs everywhere. And so I thought, we'll just put our NADA signs out between the, the Hillary signs and the Trump signs that are nowhere right now. How many have noticed that? I mean, there's hardly any signs out anywhere. And, uh, but I said, all right, we'll put it out there. And I thought, all right, we'll, we'll do this. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this and we'll just hit a couple of the issues. And, and I just, it's just one of those things where all of a sudden it escalates and it goes, it gets, it gets up to the next level and the next level. And I, I want to tell you this, the intent was never to say don't vote, okay? And at the end of this series, I hope you don't gather that from me where I'm like, don't vote. That would be the opposite of the way I feel. I feel like we should render unto Caesars what is Caesars. And the government is saying, hey, vote. Tell us who you want as president. And I think it's part of our obligation. It's good citizens. And we'll get into that. Um, but the reality is one of these two will be our president, uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And um, never before in my lifetime have we had two more undesirable candidates. Um, one, we can't believe a word they say. And the other, we can't believe they said that. That's how it feels. <laughs> Just like, what's going on? I mean, um, several articles, several articles. This is one article, uh, several. There were several articles. It said, in voting for Trump, hold your nose. Okay, that's the one. And then just recently, Oprah came out with her ringing endorsement of Hillary. And she, because people were saying they don't like her, she says, you don't have to like her. She's not coming to your house for dinner. I mean, think about that slogan. You don't have to like her. I mean, you know what I'm saying? This is what it's come down to. And I think our youngest son, Logan, again, this is his first election that he gets to, to vote in. I believe it's the first time that I've noticed that we're really not voting for people. We're actually voting against people. 
And I think that's why there's not that excitement with the signs and the bumper stickers and the different things to say, here's who I'm for. It's more like, I'm going to keep it to myself and vote against this person. Um, and again, as you know, uh, you may not be aware of this, the law prohibits uh, a church from saying you have to vote for somebody. All right, we could talk about the issues, but you can't say you have to, and we, we won't do that. Um, I want to say this to the rest of the world that's watching online or may see this sermon, you know, on our archives um, and to our church, but especially the rest of the world. These two are not the best of our nation. Okay, they're not. They're what has been presented through our process, but they are not the best of our nation. Um, the, the best of our nation uh, are hardworking people, are amazing people, are, are people we love as our neighbors that we'd be proud to say I'm for them. But these are not the best, but they just happen to be what's presented in the way that our government uh, works. Um, Again, originally in this series, I was going to do uh, week one. was like choosing between two bad choices when, when God makes you make a choice. Um, uh, week two, I was just going to talk about godly leadership. What does it look like? Week three was like I was, I was really going to focus on the difference between lying and falsehoods and why are we such a nation of liars, not just our leaders. And then it just seemed like it morphed. How many know what I'm talking about? There were tapes that were leaked. There was WikiLeaks. And we got a look behind the curtain. And these revelations of what is going on in these people's lives, uh, the best I can say, it was like finding out how sausage is, is made and then going, like, I want to be a vegetarian. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it feels. Like, I eat that? Brown it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? But I feel the weight of this. I feel the weight of this. And uh, this went from a neat series, honestly. When I planned this, it kind of was a neat series that had a little edge to it. Now I feel like it's a needed thing. Um, and I will say this. We will get into the scriptures in just a moment. I believe the world knows it too. I believe the world knows it. They're aware of the times. They feel, uh, whether they know it or not, the world realizes we're moving from Daniel 1 to Daniel 3 through 6. They can feel it. They can feel that something's happening. Never before have I been interviewed by the Star Tribune about the election. You know, they were in our church taking pictures. Never before uh, have people come up to me on the street and in the community. You read the editorials. You read this. It's the church, this, this. What are they going to say about this? This issue, that issue. I mean, it, it's volatile, and, and they realize that. And I believe it's because we're not really talking about traditional uh, political topics this election. Um, I mean, it's not like, are we going to war or not going to war? It's not, are the taxes too high or are the taxes too low? It's not, is the economy running strong or not? It's not healthcare even. And it's interesting, like, our own premiums at church are going up 26% next year. And that's hardly even in my top 10 issues. If it is, it's like the 10th, all right? And there's so many issues that are there. Uh, we, we see this, th this year that there's character that we're talking about. We see religious freedom that is moved to the top. We see moral issues. We see um, tax-exempt issues with religious institutions like Bible colleges and such. We see f the potential of four Supreme Court justices being put before us. Uh, for sure we know one, but the ages of the others are in their 80s and late 70s. And so we see this as a very volatile time where uh, moral decisions that have gone before the Supreme Court that have been decided 5-4 
in, in, in what would be considered a conservative view now could be just 6-3 or 7-2. Or the court could change in a moment. So we see this, and I hope you feel this, and we're going to engage this. And I don't want to just engage this in this three-part series. I'm praying that our church can elevate this. I'm praying that we can elevate this. I'm praying that we can get above the noise. And with that being said, I want to assure you, the first thing I want to say to you now uh, as we go to the Word of God is God is in control. Okay? God is in control. Yeah, you have to realize that. If you look throughout the Bible, you will realize, and I will just read a couple of scriptures here, but you will realize that God is in control. In Romans 13... It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He's saying God's in charge. God is in charge of all that's going on, and he is establishing the authorities that are here. In Daniel chapter 2, again, I'm just going to read a couple of them. It says, he, God, changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. It's saying God is in control. God is in charge. Uh, I love what Psalm 146 verse 3 says in the New Living Translation. It says, don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. And I believe that. We, we could say there's no confidence in powerful people. My hope is in God. If there's one thing I want to think every time I see our not a sign is, neither one of those people is where my hope is. Neither one of those people being president is where my confidence is. My confidence is in God. And I have faith in God. And I'm going to make it no matter what. I, I believe that there are consequences based on this election. But God is still in control. Sometimes I get fired up on the issues. I mean, I am for religious freedom. In week three, it's probably going to get a little hot in here, all right? I'm going to have to run that sermon by the elders maybe before I preach it. But I get a little fired up sometimes. And then sometimes people are like, Pastor Rob, God is in control. I'm like, I know he is. I know he is. Being aware and active does not negate that, all right? I'm just aware and active, and I realize that I have deep-held beliefs, and I believe that there's consequences in the things that we do. I believe that uh, the Bible tells us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Man reaps what he sows. There's sowing and reaping. And so I, I want to sow good things. I want to reap good things. But he's in control. And I've never had this more illustrated. I mean, obviously, reading the Word of God, it just jumps out. God's in control. God's in control. But if you go on one of our global teams to a communist country, and I've been to several, I've been to Cuba, I've been to uh, China, I've been to other communist countries, I've been on the border of countries where we're dealing with refugees and, and then bringing them food, and it's absolutely incredible. When I'm, when I'm dealing with these refugees, I was struck by this. I'm praying for them, and, and we're there, and I, I'd say, like, what do you want us to pray for? And they're like, we want to pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ will go forward. God's church will move forward. We want to pray that the sick will be healed. We want to pray that our children grow up to love Jesus. I'm like, yeah, how about if we pray for your government? Any government prayer requests? They're like, why? I'm like, well, because they're communists and they're killing people. And they're like, yeah, don't worry about that. Let's just pray that the church goes forward. Isn't that amazing? And I'm kind of like, let me ask it again. I'm not sure the interpreter got that right. 
We have freedom. You have communism. People are dying. We're free. Do you want us to pray for your government? And they're like, no, we like the way the church looks here better than it looks there. I'm like, wow, how striking to me. And so it just reminds me that God is in control. And I've noticed this, just a, a generic observation. I've been to almost 50 countries in the world, so I think I can say something about this. Um, I've noticed that it seems like the church is thriving in, in countries or growing in countries that have capitalism and that have communism. I've noticed that the church looks asleep and fairly dead in socialistic countries. I've just noticed, it's almost like they're not, it's almost like that scripture of hot or cold, but lukewarm is dying. And it's just an observation when I go to socialist countries. And so when I see this, that's why I love the freedoms that we have because I've noticed the opportunity for the church to continue to thrive. Now, I've learned this as well, that God is in control and everything, his plans are too big for us to see the whole chessboard. How many know that? It's like, you're like, that's bad. And then God's like, no, it's actually good. And then you're like, that's good. And he's like, no, that's actually bad. How many know that? It, it just seems like Genesis 50 jumps out to all of us where Joseph says to his brothers after they sold him into slavery, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I think it's absolutely incredible that you say, well, that's bad, that's good. And God's like, no, I've got something bigger than this. I've got something bigger. It's gonna save many lives. Now, I think some people say, well, either that means that anything that goes on, we don't even have to vote. Anything is fine. I don't believe that's what the text is telling us. I believe the text is telling us that God can turn losing into winning. Or in the, another translation, it says, your stupid actions can't stop his plan. That's the Ketterling version, all right? <laughs> your stupid actions can't stop his plans. I mean, how many, it was stupid for his brothers to sell him into slavery. It was evil for them to do that. But their stupid actions couldn't stop God's plans. The church of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. It may lose its tax exemption, may lose jobs. You may go to prison. You may, it may scatter. It may get persecuted. It's happening all around the world. But I'm telling you this, the church of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. God's going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let's grab this in this political series and in this time of year. God is in control. God is in control. Let's remember that as we get frantic. It's okay to be aware. It's okay to be engaged. But let's realize God is in control. The second thing is this. We need to do our part. We need to do our part. I've watched this over and over. God uses people to accomplish his plans. He does it over and over again. The book of James talks about it. Faith without works is dead. He's saying, have the faith. He's like, you know, if you have these principles, use these principles and turn these principles into progress. If you have convictions, turn those convictions into help. Do something with them. It's faith and works. And he wants us to be out there using our hands for what's in our heart. Let me say that again. God wants us to use our hands for what's in our heart. And it's okay to go out there and to do good and to be active and to say we want to make a difference in this world. I believe this, that we don't uh, live in a nation that needs to line up like the Old Testament Israel did. I believe we live in a nation that was founded on biblical principles, okay? But it's not like the Old Testament nation of Israel where it had to obey these things and have exact leaders in the exact way that God says we're in exile, if you will. 
And I think if you look at when the children of Israel were actually captives in other countries, that's more appropriate for us. And again, I know we enjoy freedom, but the principles we can apply to our living in this country are more like Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He's like, you're in exile. That's not your home. But while you're there, pray for it. Do the right thing. Do the good things. Live the right life that you should be living because guess what? Pray for them. And if they prosper, you're going to prosper. And I think God is asking us to pray for our country, to do the right thing. I think uh, the Apostle Paul is kind of tying this to, First uh, Timothy is kind of tying this back to there, where he says in First Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. God's saying, I I want you to be there to make a difference. I want you to be there to make a difference for the poor, for the family, for the individual, for the workplace, for the government, for the education, for media, for Hollywood. He's like, be there, make a difference. And I believe these areas are so bad because we said we're pulling out. We're not involved enough. We're like, leave us alone. And God's like, I never asked you to say, be left alone. I asked you to just go and be a part of this. Be active in this. Pray for them to be blessed. Bless the people around you. Be active in doing the good things. If you think about this, uh, President Garfield, he was our 20th president. And this is what he said about being involved. He says, now more than ever, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. This was in 1877. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it's because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it's because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. If the next centennial, so he's speaking the next hundred years, does not find us as a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. He was saying we're going to go rotten. If the church doesn't do its job, this country is going to go rotten. We can't talk. And I think what's happened is the church has not done its job. The church has not stood up. The church has not gone out and said, hey, we'll be active. We'll be involved. We'll wake up. We'll do the good. We'll speak up. It's okay. We're going to do those things. It's an amazing thing. Dr. Wood, he's the superintendent of the Assemblies of God, which we're a part of. He wrote a letter out, and I'm going to actually put it out on social media and try to get it out to the whole church. But he talked about this. He said the church like withdrew, and while we withdrew, we allowed the world to draw the narrative about us. And he said that narrative is going to lead to persecution someday. He said it started with this, a caricature, that the church was mean and bigoted, and we didn't do anything to do good deeds, and we didn't really jump out in front of it, and we let the world define us as mean and bigoted. Then he said they started to marginalize us, marginalize us and say, keep your church in your church, in the walls. Don't bring it to the marketplace. Don't bring it outside there. And we let them marginalize us. 
Then it said it's starting to lead to discrimination, and if you don't think that's happening, it is. Our own colleges right now, of which I sit on the board of one of our Bible schools, the government is using Title IX, and they're saying, your moral codes that you stand up with are no longer acceptable. And if you have these moral codes, we're going to take away your grants, we're going to take away your loans, we're going to take away your accreditation, and we're going to label you. That's discrimination, and it's being used. But it all happened while we were away, disengaged for what was going on. He says, then it leads to persecution inevitably. And I got to say this, even mentioning that almost sounds like I'm in a cheesy 1980s Christian movie. You know what I'm talking about? It just feels, I mean, there was a video that was back in the 80s, and I remember watching that video and laughing at it because the dad starts the video, and he's like, son, it wasn't always like this. We used to be able to preach the word of God, and then he's going down the hallway, and I was like, that's funny, and I pledge allegiance to the lamp. You know what I mean? I thought, that's just, I mean, seriously, come on. You know, that's not going to happen. And now I'm like, wow. Wow. I mean, I sit on the board, and the board meetings are, we are going to lose this. This is going to happen. This is coming against us. This is going on. I mean, these are real things. On the East Coast, there was a school that simply made a statement, made a statement on marriage, saying that they were for traditional marriage. And you know what happened to all the businesses around this well-known school said, your students are unhirable. We will not hire Anyone that goes to your school, it may not be illegal, we will not hire anyone from your school. That is leading to persecution. I met with a senator a few years ago. I want to clarify, it's not Ted Cruz, but I met with a senator a few years ago. I was in D.C., and he said, some of you will be in jail for your faith. There's a few pastors. He goes, this is what's going to happen. And he predicted all the laws that would happen and change, and he has been spot on. And he said, I'm just telling you, the laws will be used against you. I love you guys. Some of you go to jail for your faith. Some of you will be in trouble for hate speech. Some of you, it's going to happen. And uh, he goes, I, I, I pray for you. You pray for me. I'll pray for you. Again, in D.C. with a senator. You know, I wasn't like with a talk show host, you know, radio. Okay. I was with a senator. And I couldn't believe that he said that. And the predicted laws that he said were happening and changing. It would come to pass. And so I look at this while we're away. I got to remember. I got to remember. God is in control. Daniel 3 through 6 was amazing and miraculous. The book of Acts is amazing. How many know that God was in control in the book of Acts and they went to jail? How many know God was in control in the book of Acts and they got stoned to death? How many know God was in control in the book of Acts and there was persecution? How many know? So, I mean, God is in control no matter what, but we need to do our part. The Bible tells us that we are salt and light. Matthew 5 talks about us being salt of the earth. And it says if we lose our saltiness, what good are we? We're the light of the world. What if we hide our light? We're no good. Here's the thing that I think about us right now as a church in America. I think if we're supposed to be the salt and light, you know what I think we are? We are like the expired spice on the back shelf, and we are like a flashlight with dead batteries. I think we've disengaged, and the salt and the light was there. The salt was there not to just add flavor to the world. The salt was there so that we would keep rottenness from happening. Salt was a preservative. And God's like, you're the preservative, church. Get out there and be the preservative. Keep this world from getting rotten. That's what he said. Keep it. Shine the light of truth on it. Get rid of darkness. Cast out the darkness. And we've just sat around and we've expired and we're dead. And it's time for the church to say, we're not expired. We're not dead. We're alive. We're going for this. Now there's been... All sorts of stuff. I laid the foundation on this, but I believe we can do something in this. 
I believe we can elevate this. I believe we can do good. We can vote. We can speak up. We can pray. We can guard our heart. I want to close each week with this. I want to close with the scripture from Timothy. It says, I urge therefore then of all, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. We need to pray more. We have not prayed enough. Everyone that I talk to that gets all riled up, I'm like, let's pray. Matter of fact, the coolest thing was I was with 20 pastors this week. We were all trying to, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? How's this going on? What are you guys doing? What are you doing? And we just said, let's pray. And it turned into an amazing prayer meeting. I said, the best thing this election is doing right now is we're praying. We're praying and we're praying for our leaders. We're praying for what's going on. Now, next week, we're going to talk about our two bad choices. What happens when a country gets bad leaders? And uh, as we pray this prayer today, I want to say some of you, when you pray for our leaders and you pray for our country, this is going to probably prohibit you from using social media in the future. It's getting out of control. It's getting out of control, the, the hate. It's okay to stand up for good, but please, let's avoid the hate that's going on. But I want us to pray, and I want us to pray here at all of our campuses that we'll pray for our country, we'll pray for our leaders, we'll pray for what's going on, and we'll engage with what's happening in the next few weeks. So Lord, I just pray right now. You said that we should pray for our leaders, that we could live peaceful lives. And we pray that we would live peaceful lives. You pray that we would live godly lives. And there was a, the word means that we'd have uh, just a, a deep honor for you and then a respect for our fellow human beings. So I pray that we'd live lives that have a deep honor for you. We realize you're holy. You are to be honored. You are to be revered. But we also pray that we'd have a respect for the people around us, loving them, knowing they're created in the image of God. And I'm praying for our leaders. I pray for President Obama. And I pray that he would make wise choices and lead our nation in good ways. I pray you'd put good, godly people around him. And I pray for whoever will be our next president, as this is a vital, vital election. I pray, Lord Jesus, that the next president would have great advisors around them, great voices around them, great godly counsel around them. And I just pray that they would make the decisions that will move us towards things that will help the kingdom of God move forward and prosper. So we thank you, Lord. We pray, we pray right now. You are in control. And we commit this to you. Help us to move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.